I don't know about you, but sometimes when I survey the world around me, I get compassion fatigue. When I try to wrap my head around the reports of over 30,000 dead in the Turkish and Syrian earthquake, when I read or hear anything at all about climate change, or when I hear or witness personal heartaches in people's lives, I can just get overwhelmed. I get compassion fatigue. I mean, sometimes we can just default, I think, to shrugging our shoulders at all these things that make us feel like we have no control over or can do anything about. And sometimes we just feel like saying it is what it is. I've been thinking about that this past week and thinking, I mean, aren't we as people who follow God in the way of Jesus called to not only acknowledge what is in the world, but to also work with God toward what God tells us the world ought to be, what the world can be. So to set the scene for our scripture passage this morning, Jesus has gathered a whole bunch of ragtag people up on the hillside for his greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. It takes up two whole chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. The people who came to hear him speak, well, I'm thinking that they might have been feeling a bit of compassion fatigue, too. A bit of desperation. A bit like they were trying to just get through one day at a time. They had been under a brutal Roman occupation for too long, just trying to make ends meet in a world that seemed that they had very little power over, a world that seemed bland and dark. And so to them on this day, to us, Jesus says this. Reading from Matthew chapter 5. 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost <clears throat> its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under the bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Let us pray. Come to us this morning, O God, as light in the darkness to illumine and inspire and warm our hearts. Come as salt to preserve and give flavor to our lives. Come as love 
to bless us with your grace and to call us to be your people in this world you love so dearly. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I remember the day very well, and I bet some of you who are of a certain age do too. It was 54 years ago when the first astronauts actually landed on the moon. Y'all remember that? Were you there? I can easily take myself back to that day. I was around seven years old, almost eight, and it captured my imagination. That day, my family had been at a picnic, and we were driving home just as it was getting dark. And it was a clear night, and I could see the full moon in the sky, and I knew those astronauts were up there. I knew their module had already landed. And so all the way home, I looked out the car window and I squinted really hard up at the moon, thinking that maybe, just maybe, I could see them up there. And after we got home, our parents put us to bed and promised that they would wake us up when the first astronauts got out of their module and took their first steps on the moon. And so later we walked sleepily to the neighbor's house where they had a better TV. And we saw those first grainy transmissions of one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It was incredible, I have a clip of it here. And here's what I remember. I remember that it was a time of such hope. A time when the whole world was captivated, not by what one person had done, but by we, the collective we, had been able to accomplish. This one event for, in a, a single moment, in the summer of 1969, seemed to unite the world. It seemed that if we could achieve something like that, if we could put our collective hearts and minds and wills and efforts together, there was no end to what we could accomplish, one small step at a time. Well, friends, that was over 50 years ago. And it's not as if science hasn't made great strides since then, and there hasn't been a lot of progress in all kinds of technology and human rights. But really still, we live in the same broken world, don't we? We live in a world of deep divisions, a world where wars still rage, all over the planet, where the Chinese government sends surveillance balloons and the Russians invade their neighbors, where our own government is hostile and divided on any number of issues. 
You know, we live in a world of untold riches and resources, and yet people still go hungry and have no place to call home. We live in a world where systemic racism tears at our very fabric. We live in a world of great and breathtaking beauty, but where a pandemic is still rampant and climate change threatens the very life of our planet. We live in a world of great kindness and love and generosity, but also one filled with fear and hatred. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is our world supposed to be like this? Does it have to be like this? How is it our world can be filled with such beauty and such order and such good, yet at the same time, such heartache and pain and violence? And what in God's name does our faith have to say about it? What in God's name are you and I called to do about it? Do we shrug our collective shoulders and say, it is what it is? Or do we work toward what it ought to be, toward the kingdom as God would have it? There's this notion, this concept that comes out of the Jewish tradition that I really love. It's called tikkun olam. They're Hebrew words that simply mean to repair the world, to heal the world. The idea is that that's what we human beings are to be about in the world. It's what God wants us to be about. Tikkun olam is this idea that healing and repairing the world is what God has been doing all along and what God is doing even now, but with our help. We are called not only to understand the way the world is, but to work toward what God tells us it ought to be. I believe we are called in this one beautiful life that God gave to each of us to partner with God in the very healing of the world. Tikkun olam. In fact, the Bible itself is a beautiful vision of what God tells us the world ought to be, God's vision for God's beloved creatures. In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we're told that God made the heavens and the earth and called them good. And he, God created human beings and she placed them in this beautiful garden called Eden. And Eden was perfect, and there were all sorts of rivers running through it. And we're told in this garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve meaningful, significant work to do. And they somehow partnered with him in caring for this world that he had created them for. And we're told that there was peace and harmony between human beings, between Adam and Eve, and between humans and God. And in that garden, there was a tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so people could choose. 
This is how our story begins. And then on the, in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it tells how everything ends. At the end, God says, behold, I'm making all things new. At the end of all things, God says he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And we're told that there are going to be rivers running through it. And we're told that there will be healing of the nations, which means that we'll all get along. And we're told that we will all actively participate in taking care of each other and in the world that God gave us. And that we'll be at peace with each other and with God. And in the middle of it, in the book of Revelation, in the middle of this new heaven and new earth, there will be a tree, the tree of life. So friends, we live between the trees, between the tree of choice and the tree of life. And I think God wants us, needs us, to not just wait around between the trees. No, I think God wants us to partner with her in God's ongoing work of redemption, in which God sent Jesus to show us the way. Jesus' teaching was about this world, this life, here and now. Jesus doesn't save us from the world. Jesus saves us for the world. We're called as Christians not out of the world's brokenness, but deeply into it. That is what it means to be faithful. And so when the crowds gathered to hear Jesus preach that sermon up on the mount, Matthew tells us that he said to him, them, you are the salt of the earth. Use that salt to flavor everything around you. He said, you are the light of the world. Illumine this broken world. Not so that people will think you are all that, but so that they will see the God of healing and redemption that is behind all that. Not so that you can earn God's love, because you see, you already have that beyond measure, but because you get to partner with God in the healing of the world. One small step at a time. He was teaching them, I think, how to be a certain kind of force, a certain kind of presence for good in the world. He was teaching them to work with God to overcome evil with good, teaching them to be people of grace and people of justice, people of mercy and grace, people who partner with God to make this world, this broken one we live in, the kind of place that God intended it to be. Notice that Jesus doesn't say you ought to be salt of the earth or I command you to be. No, he says you are salt of the earth. Notice he doesn't say you ought to be or you should be the light of the world. He says you are the light of the world. You already are. Writer Barbara Brown Taylor says, you know, it's like he's giving, giving you the t-shirt before you've even run the road race. 
Friends, you are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. You've got the t-shirt already, and that's pure grace. But here's the thing. I think you get to choose how zesty you will be. The wattage of your light is up to you. You get to choose how much flavor that you bring to this enterprise called life. You get to decide how brightly you wish to shine that light. If 15 watts is all you can manage, well then the world around you won't be very well lit and your life might not look any brighter than a closet. If you've lost your saltiness, then everything around you might seem bland, as bland as dry toast. So you get to decide. You get to decide about this life between the trees. Taylor tells this story about a professor friend of hers who was invited to speak at a military base one December. And this soldier named Ralph had been sent to meet him at the airport. And after they had introduced themselves, they headed toward the baggage claim. And as they walked down the concourse, Ralph kept disappearing. Once it was to help an older woman whose suitcase had fallen open. And another time it was to lift up two toddlers who were trying to see Santa. And yet again, it was to give directions to someone who was lost. And each time he came back to the professor with a big smile on his face. Where did you learn that? The professor asked. Learn what? Learn what, Ralph said. Where did you learn to live like that? Oh, Ralph said, during the war, I guess. And then he told the professor about his tour of duty overseas, how it was his job to clear the minefields, and how he watched his friends blow up in front of his eyes. And Ralph said, I learned to live between steps. I never knew whether my next step would be my last step. So I learned to get everything I could out of the moment between when I picked my foot up and when I put it down again. Every step I took, he said, was a whole new world. And I guess I've been that way ever since. Friends, you are salt to a bland and tasteless world. You are light to the dark corners in need of illumination. How will you tikkun olam? How will you partner with God to heal this broken but impossibly precious world? When those first men on the moon came home all those years ago to a hero's welcome, they sparked our imaginations. They sparked our hope that if we could work together, if we could work in peace, if we could care for everyone and treat each other with justice and kindness, then maybe, just maybe, our broken world would start to heal. 
Here's a clip of Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, who asked, when, when he was asked about how it all felt. I felt very small and very lucky. And as we looked up on the surface of the, from the surface of the moon, we could see above us up here the planet Earth. And it was very small, but it was very beautiful. And it looked like a oasis in the heavens. And we thought it was very important at that point for us and men everywhere to save that planet as a beautiful oasis that we together can enjoy for all the future. Our precious world is a beautiful oasis, and it is our task as followers of Jesus to tikkun olam, to partner with God in its healing between the trees, to be salt and light one small step at a time, to not only acknowledge what is, but to work tirelessly toward what ought to be. It can be daunting and overwhelming, the enormity of the world's need. But friends, take heart from these words from the Talmud. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. One step at a time. May it be so. Amen.